Good morning, everyone. Uh, if you're new to this community or even uh, tuning in for the first time, my name is Helen and I'm on the pastoral team here at Elevation. And I'm pleased this morning to uh, be here to bring you some thoughts and reflections and uh, lead you into the word together this morning. We're pressing pause between two sermon series right now. We're taking a couple of weeks in February to just recognize the season that we're in. February is typically a challenging month, and for those with mental health challenges, it's even uh, more difficult, um, not to mention that we're almost one year in to a worldwide pandemic. And so we just wanted to acknowledge uh, that season that we're in and pay a little attention to our, our emotions right now. I remember mid-March of last year, I was driving into the office and on the car radio, listening to the CBC News, where it was declared that the World Health Organization um, was calling the COVID-19 virus a worldwide pandemic. And when I got into the office, I was walking down the hall and I happened to see Brandon in the office and I said, oh, uh, I just heard that the World Health Organization has declared COVID-19 a worldwide pandemic. And then we both stopped and looked at each other and said, what exactly does that mean? Well, now we know. We know more than we have wanted to know what it means to live out a worldwide pandemic. And when Rob Ford made his announcement on January 13th, giving news of a stay-at-home order, my heart sank, and I'm sure many of our hearts sank. I have to say, to be honest, that navigating the pandemic um, hasn't on the surface been that difficult for me. I don't have little babies or toddlers. I'm not raising teenagers or caring for aging parents. I have a comfortable home in which to work. And so generally I've been able to um, get through. But when I heard that announcement, I felt a sense of weariness that I hadn't experienced up until then. 28 days, we can do this. But really I was past wanting to do this. And when I sent out the interruption email that week, uh, the verse that came to mind was, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We have felt a lot of emotions in this season. We have felt grief in this season. Like many other members in our community, I've lost a loved one. My brother passed away on December 6th. And not only do we feel the loss of our family members, but we feel the loss of all of the rituals and practices that typically go along with those losses. We couldn't gather, we couldn't share memories, hug one another, we couldn't even eat funeral sandwiches. I know there are plans to have memorials in the spring when restrictions lift, but I wonder if that moment has passed a little bit. Um, I do want to acknowledge that the Elevation community stepped up um, for myself and I know for others with love and support in the form of meals and flowers and notes and encouraging messages and that was really, really um, helpful during that time. Maybe we're feeling things that we don't actually know what we're feeling. Children are feeling it. The CBC reported that educators are noticing a difference in the art that children are producing right now. Uh, many of the submissions by kids and teenagers on the website childart.ca depict people alone, haunted by shadowy images, or worse, their own thoughts. So here we are, almost a year in. Where do we take these emotions that we're feeling, and what does God offer us in the way of emotional support? 
Before we dive into this topic, I do want to take a moment here to recognize the good and very necessary work that mental health professionals are doing right now. Uh, we have many in our Elevation community who work in that field, and we really do appreciate the hard work that you are doing. And if you're on the receiving end of mental health support right now, please keep receiving it. This morning's talk is not intended to replace that at all. Eugene Peterson, who is a beloved and often quoted writer in Elevation Sermons, you've heard his words often, uh, he is the author of the Message Version of the Bible, as well as many other books around leadership and spiritual life. He was well known for his love for the Psalms and for his practice of reading and praying the Psalms over and over and over during the course of his life. He discovered the Psalter when he was 12 years old, and uh, he immediately uh, began to read. But when he first started reading, he was a little perplexed by the language that he felt that found there. He was used to, as I was, uh, approaching the Bible literally, seeing it as a document to be conquered and understood, to be memorized, mining it for truth. And the Bible is good for that. But the Psalms use poetry and metaphor using literary techniques that get inside the truth, um, with more often with emotional than logical connections. C.S. Lewis says the Psalms must be read as poems, as lyrics, with all the licenses and all the emotional rather than logical connections which are proper to lyric poetry. Otherwise, we shall miss what is in them and think we see what is not. In other words, if we're too busy trying to read them literally and figure them out, we're going to miss what they're saying or we'll find things that aren't there. It's poetry and it needs to be read that way. Now, I'll admit that poetry is not my first go-to when I'm looking for something to read. I prefer memoir or a good essay, uh, a novel, um, maybe even a beach read. But thankfully, we have some really gifted poets in our Elevation community. And through them, I'm beginning to lean more deeply into poetry and the way that it frames the world and describes our human experience in new and meaningful ways. It's said to make the familiar strange and the strange familiar. And I think when I'm touched by a poem, I recognize that that is what is happening. As I read through it, I stop and I respond with, oh, I get it. And that's what happens when we read the Psalms, if we're open to reading them that way. When you look at the way a poem is on a page even, there are extra lines between the stanzas. The, some of the lines, some of the sentences are short and they're not, uh, they don't always end with a period. It's not like reading prose where the, the words are dense on the page and you move down through the page. Poetry allows you to stop, to go back, to reread and to experience. And when we do that, when we sit down and slow down, we might actually find that we are feeling something that we need to feel. Early on in the pandemic, I, be, I wrote a little piece of, um, I did a little piece of writing, a little essay on uh, kind of what was happening in the world around us. I began it in, in, I think, April or May, and I sort of, it unfolded throughout the pandemic. But one thing that I noticed in the writing, and I didn't sit down to write this 
part of it, but this surfaced in the writing, um, was this little um, observation that uh, the, the road construction that has been going on for most of last year at the corner of Urban Fisher Holman, which is the way that we exit our neighborhood, um, this road construction started and the lanes were blocked off and new lanes were opened up and places were rerouted, there were potholes. Sometimes they closed the entire entrance to our neighborhood right there. And I found that that road construction was really irritating me. It was irritating me in a disproportionate way to what it was. Nobody likes road construction, it's usually bothersome. But this was getting big in my mind, so much so that I'd think twice about, did I want to go out anywhere? Because did I want to navigate that? Eventually, I began to use a different exit from the neighborhood, and it added a few minutes to my commute, but it solved that problem. But what I recognized as I was writing and thinking, and as that rose up, I realized that I was transferring my anxiety, my fear, my sadness, all of the feelings that have arisen during the pandemic, and it was landing there in that, as well as on the arrows in the grocery store on the floor. Those arrows really bother me. I don't like them. It reminds me that things are not as they once were. But again, it's a transfer of things that I'd been feeling, but hadn't necessarily been acknowledging. And that's what a reading of the Psalms with openness can do. It can expose things that we may need to actually bring to the light and feel. When I began to put this talk together, I was feeling a bit of frustration. I knew what I wanted to say, and I'm quite captivated um, about this topic, but it was a struggle to narrow it down. There are 150 chapters in the book of Psalms, and I was wrestling how to pull this together in a form that would be that would make sense and would be meaningful. Fortunately, my, um, my husband has some experience in the area of preaching and communication in general, and so I talked through with him what I was thinking and kind of um, told him where I was hoping to go, and he looked at it all and listened to me, and then he said, you know what, I think you should set this aside and sit and read the Psalms for a few days. Well, that was really good advice, so that's what I did. I began to read, not to try to figure anything out, not to find contradictions or historical context, simply to read the words and let them sink into me. And what I read in the 50 Psalms that I made it through, I did not get through the whole book, was a very wide span of emotion and honesty spoken courageously by the psalmist. I noticed that not much is forbidden in what we can feel, and more importantly, what we can say to God. In church, I think, uh, historically, we often feel that we should be polite, we should, we know we can praise and love God, express, the, express those feelings. But what about when we're legitimately angry or frightened or sad or experiencing deep longing, maybe even desire that we can't even articulate that we have? Ellen Davis, who's a theologian, says the Psalms enable us to bring our into our conversation with God feelings and thoughts most of us think we need to get rid of before God would be interested in hearing from us. And Tish Harrison Warren says the Psalms dare us to bring our whole selves before God, the good, the bad, and the ugly. For example, Psalm 44, 23 says, Awake, O Lord, why do you sleep? This reminds us that we can be direct and even demanding with God. Are we comfortable with that tone? I'll admit that when I say it in the, that tone, I feel like I maybe shouldn't be saying that to God. But God is inviting us in here. So where do we begin? 
Some psalms are readily familiar to us. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or, or sit in the seat of mockers. Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Or Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. But let's dip into a lesser known psalm. Ron read Psalm 43 for us this morning. This psalm feels like a bit of a roller coaster to me. And when I sat with it a bit, I felt like the psalmist was right inside my head. To just quickly give an overview of this psalm, he starts out with, Vindicate me, O God. He's calling out to God. And then he's affirming, You are my stronghold, but why have you rejected me? He's questioning. Then he calls out, Send your light. I will go to the altar of the Lord. He's affirming. Then, why are you so downcast? He's doubting. And then he ends with, put your hope in the Lord. The psalmist goes back and forth in conversation between himself and with God, and then back to his own self, and back and forth as he, as he sorts out the situation, his feelings, his dependence on God. Rather than being this confusing ride through seemingly conflicting emotions, instead, this psalm is a place to ride out those emotions. I, fi I find myself in this psalm, emotions changing at every term. Let's at every turn. Let's think about the psalm in relation to the pandemic. If there's one thing that I've struggled with, it's, and I don't think I'm alone with this, it's the constantly shifting and confusing messages, feelings, and worse, all of the little micro decisions that we've been navigating. One minute we're up, then we're down, then we're hopeful, oh, maybe not. We're on this sort of shifting ground and we can feel that and it feels uneasy. But as we lay these words and feelings as we lay these feelings against the words of this psalm, we can put our feelings and emotions into a more understandable package. The psalmist is dealing with something different than we are, but this psalm is telling us um, that what we're feeling is normal and human. It lets us get inside ourselves and find a path for navigating the ups and downs that we've been experiencing been experiencing through this season especially. First we feel this, then we feel that. But it's all very natural and all very human and we don't have to put on a brave face. Instead, we're invited to acknowledge these feelings and to walk through them with the psalm as our guide, not as our judge, but as our partner along the way. I almost think of it as a container that I can climb into and I can use this space to work things out. And it assures me that I'm not crazy. At least I don't think I am. It's normal. It's how humans process things. And this is true apart from the pandemic. Uh, as we navigate the ups and downs of life and what it means to be human, uh, we, we hear that a lot now. What does it mean to be human? And people are trying to figure out what it means to be human. The, sh the Psalms help us shed light on what it means to be human. Now, I'll admit, um, as an extrovert during the pandemic, I have found social media to be a very tempting pastime. It gives me all of the uh, feels of seeing my people, watching what they're doing, interacting with them maybe in comments or messages. Now, I do want to say how great it's been to see Elevation families really embracing this season and being creative and campfires in the snow and uh, cross-country skiing and skating and um, all kinds of things. And that's been very inspiring. The other thing we do, and I do, is watch Netflix. Uh, it's a way of medicating myself. 
But I heard someone say recently, how can that episode of The Office that you have watched for the 49th time hold a candle to what God has to offer? Good question. At the end of the day, those things leave me wanting. They feel good in the moment, and they do. They do bring us relief. But it doesn't last, and we, we know that, especially with social media, we're only seeing one side of the coin. But when I turn instead to Scripture and I situate myself in these words, particularly the Psalms, I'm taken to depths of emotion, high and low, that I might need to feel. I'm not just feeding them with trivial content. I'm bringing them to the light, and I'm working them out. I want to look briefly at another psalm, and that's Psalm 88. In this psalm, the writer is expressing his feelings of being in the depths of despair. And at the risk of being a bit of a downer, I wanted to talk about this psalm because um, it explains to us um, sometimes how things actually work out. So just briefly, the words of the highlights of the psalm, you've put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You've overwhelmed me with all your waves. You've taken me from my closest friends. You've made me repulsive to them. Have you ever felt that way? I'm confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. That doesn't sound very uplifting. He carries on in this vein until verse 13, where there's a moment of hope. He says, but I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. But then he plunges right back down into his woes and feelings of helplessness. And he ends on this note. You have taken from me, friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. There's no chirpy, easy resolve here. And I think that is important to notice. We don't always find resolve. And it can be commendable to put on a brave face and carry on. And we, we, we often have to do that to actually survive. I was talking to someone from Elevation this week who said, you know what, I'm just getting by day by day. And I understand that. Um, and, and sometimes we just has to have to keep going forward. But what this psalm is doing is giving us permission to balance our affirmations of hope, our confessions of praise, with a spoken reality of where we actually often find ourselves. And both of these expressions belong in our practice of personal and even corporate community devotion. As I say, many of us are barely holding on until things return to normal. But maybe there's something in this season that we can lean into. Maybe, we, maybe we're being called into silence. Or maybe we're being allowed to sit in our sadness. We don't want to let it overcome us or spiral down from us. But being sad is not a bad thing. It's a real feeling that we often have. And it needs to be acknowledged and processed. We can think about the things we've lost put them into perspective, and then we can choose to move forward to hope. Sometimes I think we want to skip ahead to the feel-good part. We want to just be in on social media or in Netflix where we don't have to think about those things instead of acknowledging where we actually might be at. Another thing that reading the Psalms invites us to is into an ancient rhythm that the church has practiced over hundreds of years. The early church prayed and read the Psalms as a matter of course. So entering into this reading takes me out of myself in this current place and time and moves me into a bigger story of which we are a part and ultimately a part of God's larger story of redemption, 
Other, other people have had the feelings that I am feeling in different contexts, in different times of history, but these feelings are common, they endure, and entering into them um, equips me to realize that this is part of a bigger, a bigger thing. Uh, early on in the pandemic, uh, there was a lot of reference to the 1918 pandemic, so I began to look at that and it occurred to me it dawned on me that my father was born on November the 2nd, 1919, so at the tail end of the uh, 1918 pandemic. And as I reflected on that, I realized that it helped me to understand um, that now, a hundred years later, um, the world continued on. I don't want to minimize the terrible loss that was incurred during that pandemic. But there was birth. My father was born, and therefore I was born, and life has gone on. And it helps me to understand that I am in this moment in time, but I am part of many moments in time. So what does a reading of the Psalms do for us? It provides us a place to learn about ourselves. It calls us to silence and gives us honest language to process all range of emotions. And it locates us in a community of saints that have gone before us, who have read and prayed and lamented and rejoiced. And it invites us to do the same. Now, I want to say one quick word about rejoicing, since most of what I've said this morning has focused on more challenging emotions. And the greater point is that all emotions can be brought to God, as I have said. I notice that there are some people that are actually thriving during this pandemic. They're welcoming a relief of external activities. They're creating more time for reading and writing and art and uh, getting outside. And so for them, although I don't think any of us is free from some level of, of anxiety around it, but for some people, uh, this is a season almost of rejoicing. And so the Psalms provide language for that too. We can bring our joy. We can acknowledge that God is the author of all of it, uh, of the sadness, of the loss, of the grief, of the joy. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. The Psalms are good for that too. Does this sound like a bit of a tall order? Am I asking you to begin a reading of 150 chapter, chapters of the Psalms? No. This isn't the season to take on, for most of us, this isn't the season to take on a heavy reading program. What I am inviting you to do, though, is to turn your attention to the source that is there for us to lean into, to draw a few words out of a psalm, to draw a verse out of a psalm, to turn those words into a breath prayer, into a daily prayer, to frame your be the beginning of the day and the end of the day with these words, to couch your day in the, the words of God that are there to comfort and encourage us. We're going to break now uh, into our discussion groups, our neighbors groups, and so you can prepare to jump into that call now. Uh, if you're not part of a neighbors group, we welcome you to join the group in North Waterloo. The link to that call will be in the comments right away. And that group is open and waiting to invite you into conversation. So please feel very welcome to join that, even if you're watching from a distance this morning. I want to finish off with some words from N.T. Wright. The Psalms are inexhaustible and deserve to be read, sung, chanted, whispered, learned by heart, and even shouted from the rooftops. 
They express all the emotions we are ever likely to feel, including some we hope we may not, and they lay them raw and open in the presence of God. Go in peace.